Hello, and welcome back to the Legends Podcast with me, Sarah Faruya of SF Creative and Sarah Faruya Coaching, where I am rising like a phoenix from the ashes after a one-year break to season seven, where our theme is legends of reinvention, stories of renaissance, and the phoenix rising from the fire. I believe there are many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories. So let's get into these creative musings from Sarah and her guests. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello there. And welcome to this, the Legends podcast with me, Sarah Faruya. And this is the Creative Musings Week. And this week, I am going to talk about my experience of surgery, of being in hospital, and how I did that, what I did, how I'm recovering four weeks on. It's four weeks today since my surgery, coincidentally. Um, I'm recording this on Friday, the 19th of January, 2024, and it will be released on the 23rd. Uh, P.S. Let me do a little plug for my uh, grief circle. If you want to join the grief circle, we start at 8 p.m. tonight, 23rd of January, 2024, and also on Friday morning, 9 a.m. Both of these are Japan time. And if you are grieving or if you're anticipating a grief or if you're grieving some kind of loss, you are most welcome to join us. Um, you can find that at sarahfaruya.com, grief support, and then select the grief circle, lighthouse grief circle. So today I'm going to talk about my experience of having surgery four weeks on from the surgery. I was going to talk about the dark, the really dark side of my experience of menopause with a few kind of citations but I think I'll leave that till the next time because I woke up this morning feeling a little bit off color and a little bit um anxious because it's tax season here and I it, it I just get a little bit funny around this time of year and the first thing my husband did was started asking me did you do this did you do this like he usually crawls into my bed at about 7 a.m we sleep separately, quite normal in Japan as it happens. And then he'll come in in the morning and we have a little chat and a little snuggle and what have you. <laughs> Which brings me to my next point. If you feel TMI, too much information, this may not be the right place for you. And if you think that somebody who talks that frankly about their personal life cannot be a professional, or cannot be professional, or it negates all their experience and uh, work and so on. This may not be the place for you. <laughs> but baby, you do you. And you're most welcome to stay, of course, as well. Uh, the other thing I'd like to just flag is that I will talk about surgery today. And I will talk about uh, having a hysterectomy. So for anybody who's in a position that they have had a hysterectomy involuntarily or they had one and they really wanted to have a child or more children even if you had five or ten and then couldn't have that 11th or 12th or 13th uh, I'm really sorry really sorry I had exactly the amount I wanted zero and uh 
and I'm very happy to have had a hysterectomy. Not so happy for the lead up to it, um, but I feel like a completely new woman. That doesn't mean that I'm suddenly on success path. <laughs> it does not mean I'm suddenly on success path. What it means is I feel better. What the hell do I do next? Okay. I also think it should be flagged here that I do use spicy language. So I will use F's and Jeff's, um, maybe not C's, but certainly some bloodies, some shits and some uh, fucks. So uh, if you are sensitive to that, bear that in mind. And also, if you don't like your kids hearing that kind of language, then pass it on, pass over it. Okay, so I've made some very rudimentary notes here about my experience, uh, but I'd love to share it with you because I found it exceptionally useful getting information from people. And so that's the first thing that I'm going to talk about, which is before I went into um, surgery before I went in. So it's it's an abdominal surgery and it's actually done by keyhole, what's called keyhole surgery. So there's no big wound. There's not even a small wound, like if somebody has a hysterectomy, um, but some of those are large. I know um, when my mum had her hysterectomy, she was cut. So she's got a smile on her belly. Um, so she was cut open in order for them to get in. But for me, what they did was they made three small incisions um, just around your pants line. And then they went in, this still makes me feel weird, through the belly button. It's called a laparoscopy. And uh, yeah, so it was keyhole surgery. And the surgeon um, does that, my amazing surgeon, Hashimoto Sensei. So... <laughs> just sorry I still feel really kind of squeamish about all of that surprisingly so given that I wanted to be a doctor and wanted to be a coroner when I was young and do autopsies that was my kind of what my chosen career path was I didn't get into medical school in the end I failed my grades by one grade um and I yeah, I just couldn't get that grade in maths. Why I was doing that is beyond me. I'm still I'm still processing that regret. <laughs> Ongoing. And um, so here we are. So what I did before, what I did before my surgery, you if you've listened to these creative musings before, you know that I tend to pinball around a little bit. I really like that about myself, but I'll try and keep on track because it's not the easiest to listen to. Sometimes I always listen back on these. Um, and... Uh, I do notice that sometimes I pinball around and I apologize for that. I, I like myself enough to be okay with that, but um, and not to go back and re-record and edit and stuff like that. But I am just going to try to stay on track. So before my surgery, what I did was I had a friend who'd recently had an abdominal surgery, same kind of thing, except he wasn't, he wasn't delivering his gallbladder out. His birth canal. <laughs> God. Um, so, yeah, so I polled a few people. People I knew had had cesareans. I asked uh, trusted friends. I asked my mom. I asked other people who I knew had had abdominal surgery what it was like recovering from this. And, you know, so many people come forward. That's one of the reasons why I'm recording these is because once you open the doors to this kind of conversation, you would be surprised at how many people have 
interesting and generous information for you. Of course, there are going to be people who kind of want to shut it down really quickly for whatever reason, but they're not the people to talk to about it. And that's completely fine. Uh, it's it's sensitive stuff, uh, but it's universal stuff. It happens to so many people and any woman between the ages of, let's say, 40 and 60 could be on this perimenopause path. And also people could be having abdominal surgery or hysterectomies. So I asked all the people, I also just people who hadn't had abdominal surgery, but had had babies as well for advice and anything they'd like to impart onto me. And I got, I gathered some amazing advice from people, things like be prepared not to be able to lift a kettle even, um, not, not to go up and down stairs. You may find it difficult to put a seatbelt on. Um, there was just so much generous information that people gave me. And then also the more kind of sensitive information about like um, bleeding afterwards or um, things like that or tending to wounds. I was quite careful to not be too invasive in my questioning to people, especially if they seems to be uh, if I or if I knew that they'd got some kind of trauma around what happened to them. And people will tell you as much as they want to as well. So it was really, really useful, you know, just in a lighthearted way for me to be like, do you have any do you have any good information for me about this, that and the other? And many people will talk about the emotional stuff. They may talk about how to deal with things in hospital. They may talk about, um, you know, some people said they couldn't bear to listen to to podcasts so having books there is good some people couldn't handle watching things so podcasts were good um some people were surprised at how they tried to recover too quickly and then got really really tired um having cozy things there some people said would you like me to bring you some pizza in would you like visitors i had one friend who was saying to me do you want visitors because some people don't as it happens i didn't interestingly enough I just really didn't want visitors. And I, besides Case Gay, I really looked forward to seeing my husband. Um, but even on the last day I was in there, I said to him, look, don't bother coming in. He'd worked from home that day, I think. So I just said to him, don't bother coming in. Don't, it's fine. <laughs> so I, that was one thing. It wasn't even a boundary. It didn't feel like a boundary to me. I suppose if I'd been a people pleaser, I might have been like, yeah, of course, and like force myself to see them. But as it happened, I really, really appreciated just being there on my own. And the other thing is it's there's there's visiting time, and but you have to go to this lounge. There's a lounge there. They won't allow even the partner into the ward. I was at a ward with four people. OK, so that was what I did before. So my takeaways from that were make sure you have something to keep you interested. Make sure you have things to keep you cozy and warm and the right clothing. So read through all the hospital manuals, the pre-stuff they've given you before uh, and um, make sure you have the right stuff. If there was one thing that I would have done differently, I took a few snacks in. I just took some like chocolate and stuff in for myself in case I wanted a little something something and some of those carton coffees that you can buy like um mount rainier or something like that you can get from the uh, convenience store that's inside the hospital i just got a couple of those for myself and some water because i had been told by somebody that they don't give you very much water there 
I don't know. I never had to ask for it because I'd just brought my own in and I'd brought enough that I could portion it out over the days. And then I think I asked my husband to bring some in for me as well. Yeah, I did. I asked my husband to bring a couple of bottles in for me as well. Not massive bottle because it was quite hard to lift it up because it was just really pathetic and weak. But a couple of smallies, not not the smallest ones, not vending machine ones, but the one up from that, I think it's a 500 milliliter one. So I was able to stay hydrated. And um, besides that, just at the food that they gave me, I had no cravings or I didn't feel hard done by or that I needed, as one person put it, contraband food. <laughs> didn't need it. Um, what else did I do pre-thing? I went through every single thing that they'd given me. I went through every single piece of paper, every pre-thing in English and Japanese, and I went over it with my Google Translate and I checked it off, um, ticked every single thing off, every bullet point, everything that I should have had before I went in and made sure that I had the right things. I also talked to my assistant, Laura, who has had three children, so she's had three hospital stays. And also she has she is very involved in mothers groups. So she knows what people post about what they need for cesareans. And I suppose a lot of people end up having hysterectomies after they or during or at the time of the birth of their children. So she would know a lot of people who had abdominal surgery and she was able to give me a really comprehensive list of things to um, remember so this was so useful to me to have these people and friends like taking care of these things. And I wasn't shy about asking in a really straightforward way. And then I went through the official documents and checked everything off. The one thing that I regret is that I didn't have nice pajamas. So I bought myself one pair of pajamas and they must be button up the front ones. And I just hadn't kind of registered how important that would be because they need to open it up to do things to you. Like um, they need to open it up to listen to your chest or to do heart monitoring or to, they, it needs to be open up at the front. They need to be able to open your pajamas up at the front to do things to you. So, and also you want really, I wanted really baggy ones so that they weren't tight on my tummy. So I could either pull them up over the top of my tummy, like Tweedledum and Tweedledee, or that they could uh, kind of just sit on top without stretching. I chose the right size, but I didn't. They weren't very nice. And I saw people with nicer pajamas than me and I felt a little bit jealous. And so I wish I'd bought myself one more pair of nice pajamas. The hospital was boiling really, really, really hot. So I didn't need my um big furry um what do you call it house coat dressing gown but uh I did take it and it was nice to kind of snuggle up to actually I used it as a little blanket and I also took a little blanket in case I wanted something snuggly I took an eye mask earplugs and they were super super useful and I put my earplugs in at night and they were really really useful and I turned my phone off at night Okay, so I arrived on the Monday. My surgery was the Tuesday. I stayed overnight on the Monday. And um, the nurses were brilliant. Um, a variety of different nurses. Some were really friendly. Some were very straightforward. I don't care. 
I have over the last few years decided that my health professionals need to be professionals. I like them to be friendly, but what I want is to get from them what I need. And that's it. I don't need to be friendly. I don't need to make friends with them. Um, polite, well-mannered, and I won't leave the room until I've had all my questions answered. But sometimes because of my nature, I can veer off into questions that aren't theirs. That happened with my surgeon, Hashimoto sensei. I could feel myself starting to veer off into questions that weren't her, her job. So that's another thing that I really loved in the hospital. So in the hospital, we have one job. Everybody in the hospital has one job, and that is to tend to the needs of the patients. That's it. There's nothing else. Every single person in that place are there to tend to the needs of the of the patients. I was the patient, so I understood that while I'm in there, my one job is to be the patient and allow that system to take care of me. Um, I love the idea that they're all kind of alchemists and magicians and witches who are all there to kind of look after my spirit and body and mind. And they were brilliant in that regard. So there is a hierarchy, a very strict hierarchy. So I don't need my doctor to do the job of my nurse. I don't need my nurse to do the job of my food deliverer. I don't need my food deliverer to do the job of my nurse or my doctor. I don't need the admin person. Oh my God, admin people are so fabulous, aren't they? Like they always seem to be similar. They wear socks that come up to their knees so you can see where they finish and they are compression socks. They're kind of a little bit like eccentric. They wear fun glasses. They probably wear those quilted skirts in the winter that keep your legs warm. The admin assistant on my ward was just fab. Loved her. Um, and they were just very kind to me, but didn't overdo it or anything like that. I like to be left alone quite a lot, but I was able to get the attention I needed. And I think the part of that is because I have been on these hormones and I have been on um, iron, which was helping me to be less anxious and um, was helping with the depression and the spikes of insanity and madness um, that I was experiencing due to the hormonal fluctuations that I had. So I was really able to advocate for myself fully in there. Um, but, you know, think just stupid things like saying, can I go down to the convenience can I go down to the convenience store? Which if you are just a normal person might sound quite ordinary, but for me, that could be really anxiety inducing and really difficult. Like, can I ask? Who should I ask? Will they let me? What if they tell me no and then I'm devastated? Like all these kind of weird things, but because I'm on the right, I was just in a really good headspace. I was able just to get on with it. So, I encourage you also to make sure that you just ask for what you need and receive the response with grace and with absolutely no malice whatsoever. The other thing that I loved was the hierarchy that was in there. So there was the doctor, the surgeon, there was the anaesthetist, there's the person who took me down to surgery and each of them has a very specific job, a very specific role. And my husband was there and he had to look after that too. Night one, they just said, there was a few things I had to do. I can't remember what they were now, but, you know, a few things I had to do, like I had to take some kind of medicine. I had to, um, they gave me the things they told, they gave me the schedule, the very strict schedule to follow, which is incredibly detailed and personalized. And they 
gave me that and I just had that to hand. It was all in Japanese, but I had written in the the um, English. They came round for my pre-op conversation and they brought the interpreter, the hospital interpreter, and I wouldn't move or move on from something until I knew what, what it was. And there was one thing on there that I didn't understand. So I'd had it all explained to me with the interpreter prior to the, uh, in my two weeks before meeting with them. And there was one thing that I'd overlooked and hadn't been explained to me or that I'd forgotten. And that's fine by me. I'm not in a fault and blame. Uh, I don't want to create a fault and blame culture around me. It's like, I don't remember this. And it was something about a stent um, and a stent in my urethra, which I had looked on Google and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Then I Google it and then I look at it. I look at the NHS site. I look at the Johns Hopkins site. I look at et cetera, et cetera see what it is and I said uh, I want to know what this is because I don't know what it is and the interpreter was like yes of course you need to you know I said I'm not signing this they asked me to sign it and I said I won't sign it until not not rude I was like I need to know what this is um I'll sign this I'll sign this but I'm not going to sign this until I know what this stent is and they went and the interpreter came back and she took me through it and she said, yes, of course, we'll find out for you. And they're all on, they have a very brilliant communication systems there. So they they called my um, surgeon and it's just during the operation, they had to cut something off um, because of something. Oh, I think they had to stem the flow of urine or something like that anyway. I can't remember what it was now. And they use a stent for that um, so that the bladder didn't, um increase and they uh, increase in size and interfere with the operation something like that but it was just during the operation so that got explained to me and I said thank you very much that's fine and now I'll sign off on that I didn't know if they were going to insert something inside me that was going to stay there afterwards cool so I was really proud of myself for that because that's not that's not easy for me normally, but it was easy for me because I've been on the right hormones and because my severe anemia that was making me tired and upset, etc., had been taken care of. Good. Did they do blood tests before? I don't think so. But they just said, now your one job is now just to rest and make sure you're ready for tomorrow. Case Gay came in to see me that night and there's a beautiful view out of the window and a really nice view, actually. It looked over west, over towards Mount Fuji. You could see Mount Fuji from the, it was the 11th floor. You could see Mount Fuji from the um, lounge. The lounge was really sweet and you see all people in there. And, oh, I was a bit sad that they, they so I'd booked a window room. You pay a little bit extra for that. I was happy, totally happy to be in a in a ward, just four people in there. Again, nobody's in there making friends or being chatty or anything. That's an interesting thing about Japan is people really are very private. And not only that, but since COVID, they're very mindful of people not being um, close to each other. I don't know what it was like before COVID in Japan, but nobody's allowed on the wards besides staff and patients. There was four people in there. Their curtains were closed around them all the time. And I'd booked a window bay, but it wasn't available. 
And when I got in there and I was kind of like, mm, that was one of those where I was like, oh, do I kind of demand my window space now or do I just go, all right, no problem. Um, as it was, it was very cozy, my little non-window bay. But the day after my surgery, they said uh, the person who was in the other bay uh, left. They'd been in for the term. They were meant to. And they said, do you want the window bay? And again, my mind started ping-ponging because of my nature. And I was ping-ponging, oh, oh, should I, shouldn't I? Do I like this cozy bay? Blah, blah, blah. And then I was just like, yes, I will have the window bay. And thank God I did. So they moved everything over there for me. Back to the pre-thing. I took a massive suitcase. So I took my uh, international flight size suitcase um, because things are voluminous. Blankets are voluminous. And I didn't have to think about what anything that I wanted to take so long as it wasn't too heavy. So that's what I took. Um, they need you to take slippers that you can pull on. Although the woman in the, in the bay next to me was wearing flip-flops. So, you know, there's, but they don't want you wearing slip-ons. And I guess that's so you don't fall over. But so I have these lovely little fluffy slippers that I bought. And yeah, so then I moved into a window bay. So the night before I just was, yeah, resting. I got into my bed and I just was then just said to myself, you've got one job, just one job. Everybody's here for one job. And that is to look after all the patients in this hospital and correct their health and get them better. Amazing. And so I didn't make uh, I didn't make a big deal about that at all. Didn't demand the interpreter come <laughs> put me in a window bay. Oh God, imagine! All right, so that that was that was my that was me. I was fine. I was cozy. I was looked after. I felt fine in my little bay. I put my schedule up on the wall, taped it up, and there was also something about what drugs I was going to receive over the time. So each one had its description. And I, again, translated all of that with Google Translate, then Googled each drug and what it was and um, just made my decisions around those things. They were very, very clear to me not to endure pain and to let them know if I was in pain and so on. So that's what I did. Yeah. So I had my went to bed. I was nervous. I woke up in the morning, there was woken up in the morning about six, I think, no food. Did I have dinner the night before? I can't remember. Oh yeah, I did have dinner, but then I wasn't allowed to eat or drink anything after nine or eat anything after nine and drink anything after 11. Then I woke up in the morning, they gave me an enema because I needed to clean myself out. That was my first ever enema and I did it wrong and I... <laughs> because I was trying to be a good girl they administered it to me and again the nurses my god they're so great nurses aren't they I mean they're just in and out oh that was another thing that happened talking of nurses but they're just in and out of your orifices all the time cleaning up shit and piss and looking after and and diapers kid diapers adult diapers all of it it's just um they're just amazing aren't they nurses are I mean they do other great things things that are a bit less oh no you know oh yeah uh, oh they're just so many things so many things um but they said like don't go straight away because 
after the enema don't go straight away because it will just be the water and it won't take out it won't clean out your intestine or your colon as it's meant to um my advice is go straight away <laughs> because if you don't when you stand up it will be a tsunami so um yeah i learned that the hard way so i had my enema and um it worked well very well you're welcome i hope you're not eating dinner lunch having a snack or just are a human being the other thing that i had to do was make sure that i uh, shaved myself and so i did like full hair removal and they said they needed to check me being me thought again just trying to over overachieve on the check they just needed to know that they could that it was trimmed well enough and that they there was no hair covering where they would make the incisions the three incisions i thought they needed to do a full uh a full a full kind of x-rated check so when she said, can I just check your hair? <laughs> I went legs akimbo and the nurse was like, oh. <laughs> so again, I mean, this is just, I mean, I'm sure they have to put up with this kind of stuff all the time. But um, I didn't catch the nuance of that at all not at all so i've been psyching myself up for it as well because it's kind of embarrassing isn't it i i don't embarrass easy around things like this bear in mind i wanted to be a doctor which puts me in mind the first ever time i did a smear test when i was um maybe 19 and i went to my regular local doctor who'd been seeing me since i was a child and I, I mean, I didn't really think of this as a kind of me too moment. And I still don't because it was quite jovial and it was the 90s. And I was I had this kind of sense of humor. But um, my my doctor, I went in and I had my smear test and I was very, very straightforward in those days. I was fearless. I had no I just was like, yeah, you know, these doctors, they're looking at my throat. They're giving me a smear test. It's no different to me. Uh, Dr. Bradley. So I went in and I went behind the curtain and he said, you know, remove your underwear. Took them off and he came in and he went to give <laughs> We went to give me he went to give me my uh, smear test and he said and I'm sure he was just trying to break the ice. Well, at least we know you're a natural redhead. I told my mum afterwards and she was laughing as well. But I'm thinking now, maybe she should have been a little bit more upset. By <laughs> but I think it's hilarious anyway. At least we know you're a natural redhead. So, and I used to be a redhead, now I'm blonde. Go figure. Anywho. So, uh, yeah, that was, so if you're having surgery, they only really need to just see the top. They don't need uh, full legs akimbo. <laughs> Okay, I'm just recalling all this now. Day of surgery, I had to wear these compression socks. So I put my compression socks on and the little robe with nothing underneath it. And then that was it. And then I just kind of lay there waiting to go. No drink, nothing. I can't remember what I did. I think Keisuke came in and I went and talked to him. And then they took me and they took me down to surgery. And this incredibly sweet older man Hashimoto sensei was there and she was just very formal and straightforward. Hello, Sarah. Welcome. 
and they were chatting to me, asking me all these questions and it was just small talk. And I now know that that's the way that they register whether the, um, what do you call it? The um, anesthetic has worked, uh, general anesthetic. And so all I remember is I, I went down and I told him I was a little bit nervous and he was saying fine and he had his little arm around me and he was patting me on the shoulder. I think this is where that kind of bedside manner is important. And I really appreciate, really, really appreciated that. that this. I mean, this guy was probably about 60 and he was like, oh, Sarah's son, oh, are you nervous? Don't worry, don't worry. Then he was asking me things, you know, oh, where do you live? Oh, do you like living there? Oh, it's nice, isn't it? Where are you from? Oh, that's interesting. The Beatles, football, blah, blah, blah. And all the while people are kind of running around me, um, putting things in me, you know, putting in the thing in my in my hand for the drug administration and so on and getting me ready for everything. Another question I had, which was on my mind, so I just decided to ask every single question that I wanted to. So I had to buy myself some adult diapers for the surgery and and I was going to get cathetered as well. So they cathetered my uh, urine. And that would stay in for a day afterwards. And these were two things that were making me a little nervous. And I could feel a little bit of anxiety around that. So I just asked. I just asked. Again, I advocated for myself and asked, um, when do you do the catheter? Do you do that while I'm under general anesthetic or before? And they said under general anesthetic. So that was like, phew, I'm glad uh, that that happens then. It doesn't always happen for people like that. Um, but I think it's if I'd known that that was going to happen. I would have just had that, okay, that's going to happen. And then I'm nervous just about that happening, not about whether it was going to happen or not. And the other thing was, um, when do you put the diaper on? Oh, no, we'll do that for you once you've gone to sleep. We. Oh, no, that's right. So I was able to go down in my underwear and then they took my underwear off. I think I felt them do that, actually. So they they took my underwear off and... Then uh, I think that was one of the last things I remember them doing. And then they put the diaper on when you're under. So that was just very comforting to know that those two things would be done while I'm under general anaesthetic. One, just for humiliation reasons. And the other one for just the sensation reasons. And that was that. I went under, said goodbye to my husband, who was really, really that's another thing I think partners or friends or whoever's advocating with you, they may also be nervous. I let myself be the patient. And, but I was really aware. I didn't want to kind of plug into too much empathy with my husband um, and over empathize with him. Um, what I did was I let him, I let him be him and I let him look after me. But I was also really aware that he was concerned and I wanted to make sure that he was well taken care of as well. We were a really good team around this, I think. And I think that's very, very important. He knew his job. His job was to be the supportive partner in this case. So that was that. And it was amazing, the um, chatting to me. And then I actually kind of felt, oh, here it is. Here we go. And then that's that. And then, then, then I woke up. Again, there was another thing that I wanted to know was they told me they um, I wouldn't be able to breathe on my own because of the general anesthetic or something. There was some reason why they needed to uh, have the 
respirator inside me. And again, I asked them, will that be, will that be inserted when I'm awake or not? No. But when we wake you up, whatever they inject into you, not into your arm, but into your hand to wake you up, they won't remove the respirator until they know that they can, that you can um, breathe properly. So then the next thing I remember was just like shouting, Sarah San, Sarah San, and me being like, oh, like that. And then just feeling this as they pulled out the respirator out of my mouth. Some people, experience soreness raspiness like <coughs> excuse me it's making me cough thinking about this <coughs> um they experience raspiness and soreness around this I didn't luckily I didn't I experienced I, I oh it was just very easy it came out and then I was just like <laughs> and then they wheeled me down onto the ward Keisuke didn't see me but weirdly <laughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me weirdly after the surgery the when the doctor went to see him to tell him to give him an update on what had happened they she came out and she had what they'd removed so they had my womb which makes me laugh still i didn't know this had happened um, my womb, the myoma that was in it, which was quite a sizable ball about the size of, it's about four centimetres across, so somewhere between, probably about the size of a pool ball, and uh, one of my ovaries in a in a uh, metal hospital dish, and just came out and went, look, this is what came out of her, and he was like, oh, and she was like, do you want to take a photo, and he said, is that usual, <laughs> felt a bit weird, and she said, yeah, yeah. So he took a photo and so did she. And then she came in to see me just after and said, uh, I, I barely remember this is really kind of patchy memory stuff. But I do remember her saying, Sarah, the, the operation was a success. It went very well. And and would you like, your husband said, you'd probably like to see what we took out of you. I am a curious person. So I said, yes. And she showed it to me and I saw it. And um. And then she left and then I just lay there and was like, and they said they gave me the button to press if you want to call the nurse. And I did need to call the nurse quite soon afterwards because I thought um, I was going to throw up. So there was some, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember whether it's the painkiller or something. I think it's the effects of the general anesthetic or it could be the um, thing that they inject you with to wake you back up again. But I thought I was going to throw up and I just, immediately pressed it I was like I'm gonna throw up I, I know how to say that in Japanese because I used to teach kids so I needed to know things like toilet words and things <laughs> so yeah so um I did that um and I didn't hesitate to call them I woke up in the night as well and then I just went to sleep that was my one job the other thing that they did was um I was hooked up to you know one of those long trolley things that they hook on the paint so I had um water and painkillers being just administered bit by bit and I was being monitored and I also had drainage on my wounds so this kind of cloudy blood comes out of you and it gathers and then I was checked on about every hour they would come in they would check my blood pressure and other things things 
they would check my bags and everything, check my blood pressure, check my urine bags. I had a catheter still in at that point. I was really, really, really concerned about that. I can feel myself getting a bit squeamish about it again now. Um, but it was fine. It was absolutely fine. I couldn't feel it. And it was fine when it came out as well. Uh, so the nurses kept coming in and in and in and in. Um, I called them twice, once because I was in absolutely shocking pain, which I woke up with this morning, exactly the same pain in my top right upper back, excruciating. And so they brought me a pillow and I, I was, it was still really hard to get back to sleep, even though I was so tired and obviously my body needed to rest, but I just, I just realized I needed to put up with it and I would have hit the button again if I hadn't dropped off, but I did drop off within the acceptable amount of time for myself, but I was in excruciating pain in my upper back. Didn't realize that I could adjust the bed myself until the next day when it just dawned on me. And then I just lay there, I just lay there for a day. I can't even remember if it was a day and a half or a day or so I didn't eat all that day and I wasn't allowed to move. And I had these, they put these pumps on the bottom of your legs to massage them. So there's this like noise all night, but I just lay there and I slept and I just did what I needed to do. I just lay there. Anytime that I needed a nurse, I would have hit the button. I didn't need to. And I'm just after those other two times. And I just let myself be weirded out, uncomfortable and tired and did that the next morning they woke me up about seven I can't remember if they woke me up about seven but every hour they came in to check on me fine or every two hours I, I actually don't know it just felt like a lot and again I was just like these nurses are amazing emptied any bags that needed emptying adjusted the thing I asked for painkillers if I needed them end of then they got me up the next day and said Right, it's time to, got my pyjamas out for me, got me a pair of underwear. It's time to go to the toilet and I had to take off my adult diaper. <laughs> Which was fine. Uh, by this point, uh, any sense of humiliation was gone. Just gone. Uh, women who have had babies will tell you that. I was just fine. Uh, anybody who was able to help me, come in and help me. Put my underwear on. I actually asked, is there another diaper? Do I need to put a diaper on again? No. Um, just put your normal underwear on and put on your um put on your um uh pajamas and they removed the catheter and it was so sweet. She's like, okay, we're gonna say one, two, three, then you're gonna breathe out all in Japanese, like and then and whoop, pulled out. I was like, oh, it just still makes me feel so squeamish. Just the thought of it, the sensation was odd, but not terrible. You know, I've been poked and prodded enough times over the years, as all women are. So, um, yeah, it was like, um, so, yeah, that was the first time I'd had things going in and out of my urethra. So, yeah, that was that. And then they, and, and, you know, you're pulling along that long trolley thing, which has got all the bags and everything on it. And at this point, I'm like, whoa, what is on me? <laughs> so, 
Yeah, so there was the drainage for the wounds. There's the the catheter was taken out, so there was no uh, urine bag anymore. And then the uh, other big bag full of um, uh, painkiller and whatever else they were putting into me. And then it's just like, now please just take time to rest. Doctor came in to see me again, I think. And then that was it. And I just lay there. Partway through the day, they um, said to me to move over into the other bay. So then I had a beautiful view of Tokyo, Tokyo Tower and that and Roppongi Hills. So that was nice. And I just got stuck into podcasts. I got completely obsessed, hyper fixated on Kathy Burke, the amazing actor and director, British one. And... Um, I started to take steps. So I started to kind of just try and walk around and see how it felt. Didn't want to stand up straight. So I was like a little prawn hunched over. I didn't want to stand up straight because it just felt so weird stretching out my stomach and my wounds. I was so aware that things had been in there. And so then because I was able to walk around, Keisuke came to visit me that night. And I think he was more freaked out than I was of me in these kind of old granddad pajamas looking all wild and wily and unwashed and no makeup and he was just like oh you look like a poor thing <laughs> I look like a poor thing and um but I was all right I was absolutely fine and um you know he saw all the paraphernalia that I had around me and then I can't remember if I ate that day maybe and then the next thing is getting so I just ate every single thing they put in front of me every last thing because I just knew that it's good to do that and I think if they're serving it to me then I should eat it I enjoyed the food it was absolutely fine um if I was in there long term I'd probably get a bit fed up and ask people to bring me in a few varieties of things but I was just for the five, four or five days that I was in there I was fine I tried to do at least 2,000 steps. So I was just walking round and round and round the ward. I loved lying in bed. So I just lay in bed, napped, woke up, listened to podcasts, didn't really scroll social media too much. Keisuke was in touch with some people, some really close friends had asked to be in touch with him. So, um, yeah, a few close friends were in touch with him. I didn't want to put too much pressure on him, but I think he also appreciated that. And I did too. And it wasn't too many people. It was really well, well managed. And people were so, like, I was so grateful for the shows of concern and asking how I am. That really helped. And I think if you do have a friend who's going into hospital, just dropping them a line to find out how they are and, you know, thinking of you and stuff like that. I, I'm not the kind of person who's going to be like, oh my God, this is so overwhelming. I need to talk to everybody. Um, I turned my phone on very briefly after I'd had the operation just to respond to a few people, um, a few key people. And then I just turned my phone off. I turned my phone off um, unless I was listening to podcasts and stuff like that. And I just lay there and I let myself be looked after. I just imagined I was just being pampered. And it was so quiet. I couldn't chat to my neighbours because I, also nobody really wanted to, but I didn't want to chat to people. And I mean, I had a few kind of fun interactions with my neighbours, just like smiling or one of them like 
dropped their water and it rolled into my bay and I had to say like just a moment please and then I tried to pick it up she could see me trying to pick it up but it's so weird trying to bend over she was in a worse state than me <laughs> let me tell you she was in a worse state than me so I, and she was laughing and I was like just a moment oh oh no sorry just a moment like this and she was laughing because she could tell that I was like being a bit of a gimp trying to pick it up but bending over and trying to find exactly the right way to bend over and at the right angle to get just grab the water bottle without moving things around too much was like because you don't want to rupture you don't want to rupture anything but you also don't want anything you don't want adhesions to start working so you do want to try and stand up straight um but you 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 don't want to rupture anything at the same time so I was really aware of that. I really was happy that they'd said, we don't want adhesions to happen. So you need to start walking around and that's to get the blood pumping as well. And to make sure you, you know, you're using your muscles a bit. So I was doing like two or 3000 steps a day. KSK came to see me on the Wednesday and the Thursday and on the Friday. It, it was like, oh, oh, that's right. He took the day off because maybe I was going to be discharged on the Friday. And I went to see the um, consultant and I had an internal exam and I had a, um, uh, I had an internal exam. She removed the blood drainage that day. She removed the, um, what do you call it? The, she removed the painkiller as well. So then I was able to ask for painkillers if I wanted them, I did. The pain wasn't bad, actually, but it was just, even if it was just a tiny amount, I decided that I was going to manage that. I was going to do that just in case I didn't want it to get bad. And I also just wanted to make sure that I could advocate for myself and ask for what I wanted and needed. So I then went to the desk and said, can I have some painkillers? Because they did say on the, so I was always every day rechecking my schedule, looking at my translation and checking the translation again and seeing what they said like and it was literally put on there do not endure the pain any pain just ask for painkillers just walking around and around and then I asked if I could have a shower which uh, shower was terrifying but I was starting to get really minging oh that's a good thing to take in with you if you've got hair is I took in um, dry shampoo I ordered some for myself which was nice called Colab which had little unicorns on the bottle which made me feel happy and little things like that make you feel happy and I also got some from Laura my assistant not only did she give me amazing advice but she gave me the most fantastic um little care package including like crayons and pencils to draw on a little drawing book and I actually did do quite a few sketches because the view was so nice and the view of Mount Fuji was so nice so I did draw some sketches and I made some notes which I must go back to I've actually got it open here in front of me and um so and I've just given myself this last month to really chill but so I haven't really looked back on it but I will look back on this I did some little poems I did some little paintings when I got home and yeah so I yeah I love I'll, I'll maybe post some pictures of the little sketches that I did out of my window and out of the uh, the the window off the lounge because it was such lovely views and I really enjoyed it and I wanted to record what I saw yeah so 
that was nice. And then when I saw the doctor, I think it was 10 o'clock in the morning and then finished up by 11, she said to me, you can stay another day. Uh, you can leave today if you want to. But I wasn't ready. I wanted one more day where I was just completely on my own. Kay was at home and I said, OK, just cancel the car and uh, cancel the car for today and come tomorrow instead to pick me up. I'm going to stay one more day because I just didn't feel ready and I didn't feel like I wanted to. And I decided that I wanted to. Yeah, I just didn't want to. I wanted to. I wanted to stay and chill out and be looked after for mm, another another short spell. And I was so happy to have done that, really happy to have done that. So then I was just able to really, and I was starting to feel a bit more well and a bit more normal at that point as well. So again, I just shuffled around the ward, uh, looked out the window, sat and listened to podcasts, Where There's a Will, There's a Wake <laughs> with Kathy Burke. And just reflected on everything. So that was like Monday I went in, Tuesday with the operation, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to recover. And then I left on the Saturday. Didn't have any lunch that day. I had breakfast that day, but didn't have any lunch. And they continued to take my temperature and stuff like that and my um, blood pressure. But I, I guess that's because I'm a ward of theirs while I'm there. Uh, but I was fine, absolutely fine. The other thing that I wanted to make sure of was that I, just in case, I wanted to make sure that for one more night uh, I was being taken care of. I didn't want to have to call anybody in in Zushi. Right, so that's that. Now then, recovery since then, I was feeling quite fine. We actually went out for lunch the next day. People had told me to expect one to three months um, and not be able to lift anything and things like that. And I felt okay, but weird. What did I do uh, when I got out? I decided to leave uh, my, I decided to not go upstairs. So we live in a house and our bedroom's upstairs. So I decided that I wanted to just stay downstairs. So I made a nest I put the chair on the end of our sofa and made myself a bed down there, like got Casey to make up a proper, proper bed for me with the electric blanket on it and everything. And I just slept there every night and it was great. It was really, really good. <laughs> Excuse me. Felt really cosy and well safe and the bathroom's on the same floor. Um... I didn't have a shower for a couple of days. I'm still a bit weird about showers. That was one month ago. But um, I was walking a couple of kilometres within the week. Within two weeks, I'd walk nine kilometres around here. Um, we, yeah, within two weeks, I was able to see people. And But I just lay laid low. Oh, yeah, it was Christmas. So I had a little Christmas day on my own. I actually made a three-course dinner for us on Christmas Eve that was the day after I got out which was weird and then but I think there's there's some rhythm that I saw for me everybody's different I'm sure but for me I think there must have been like a boost of hormones or boost of something that was downloaded from my body that meant that I had this kind of burst of energy went the first week I was back but I also decided I was going to have one job when we got home as well and that was to 
to get better. Um, so yeah, on the uh, Christmas day, yeah, just chilled because Kay was at work. And then the weekend after was New Year's weekend, wasn't it? We went to our friend's place. I think New Year's Eve we just spent together. I think I was still... I think New Year's Day I decided to, to sleep upstairs. Or was it New Year's Eve? I think I decided, right, I'm ready to sleep upstairs. And that was very interesting. I just followed my body, followed my intuition. It was like, I am done on the sofa now. Now I'm going to go upstairs. Um, I'm going to sleep upstairs. Okay, I am done on the uh i am i am done something else now i'm going to do this kind of thing um took me ages to take the tape off my wounds i don't know why everybody's different i didn't have to do any care for them or anything like that they were very neat there's no stitches well there were surprise stitches but they weren't on my tummy <laughs> i didn't know nobody told me um, but I'll, I'm gonna uh, actually. That's that, I'll leave that there. I'll leave that to your imagination. But there, some surprise stitches after about three weeks were like, where are they coming from? <laughs> so that was great, and I just, I just properly, properly let myself chill, but also let myself go out. Four weeks it was four weeks today that I actually had the surgery, and I went out out for the first time two nights ago and met up with some old friends old trusted friends I really didn't want to miss seeing them and we had dinner together and it was fabulous it was so nice to see them but my god so I went into Tokyo and we went to Shibuya and, you know I feel fine I'm like pot you know poodling around but I'm not right so that's the point it's like I'm still healing I'm still you know, my body's still been through a trauma, right? It's still been through a trauma. I'm using that word in the actual sense of the word, not in the metaphorical sense or the PTSD-ish sense. So it's been cut open and I've delivered something out of it. So yeah, I was absolutely exhausted yesterday. Exhausted. So I just met my friend. I met another friend for lunch. And by the time we'd finished, I was so tired. Like I woke up in the morning feeling a bit groggy, but I thought it was just because we went to bed a bit late. You know, we went to bed after midnight because we takes a couple of hours to get home, all told. Uh, but I was exhausted yesterday morning. And then, yeah, I went out, met my friend Kirsten, who lives around the corner. He is one of my besties. <clears throat> Excuse me. And my God, it's just so out of it. Maybe we did New Year's with them. I can't remember. Or did we see them on the second? I can't remember. Everything's so blurred for me. And um, yeah. And then today as well, just a bit. I'm getting back into work. I've done my first coaching, which I absolutely loved. This is one of the things I'm going to talk about, I think, in the next show, where I will talk about the dark side of all of this, which is I'm incredibly upbeat about all of this now. I'm very pragmatic about it. But it's damaged my life. This last two years of feeling so awful and having all many, many of the symptoms of perimenopause, uh, lack of confidence, uh, suicidal ideation, um, imposter syndrome on, you know, unmanageable. Um, there's a, a lack of confidence, depression, insanity, <gasps> tiredness. 
exhaustion, burnout, all these things that can come to the fore. I will talk about those in more detail in the next podcast, I think, because I am upbeat now and I do feel better, but I have a lot of building back to do and a lot of changing to do because it hasn't been an easy couple of years. This surgery has gone exceptionally well. My appetite is brilliant. I've gained weight, um, which is great. And after I see my sensei next week, I will ask her, find out if I'm okay. And then I will get back to kind of full exercise potential because I have got a little bit weak. I can feel my body quite weak. I can, it's hard for me to stand up. Uh, even though I've been walking kilometer upon kilometer, it's still quite uh, full on. And yeah, let's see. I think that's about it. So here I am now. I'm almost back to normal. I'm still scared of my belly button. I still don't kind of rub my tummy in the shower. I still take showers every two or three days instead of every day as I used to. Um, I'm only washing my hair once every couple of days. This is a really weird side effect, but it doesn't bother me at all. And I know that I'm not up to full potential yet because I was so exhausted yesterday. But good news is I feel normal my executive function is way, way better. It's not what I observe in other people, but it's getting better. It's getting much, much better. They did a blood test and my anemia is gone. My blood levels are normal now. This is, I can't tell you how happy I am about that, but I haven't been hemorrhaging for the last three months since I got on these like full on hormones. So without that, yeah, my blood levels have got back up to normal. I just can't believe that that was going on and that I was enduring that and just put, I didn't put up with it for long. I would highly recommend you don't put up with it for any amount of time at all. If you start kind of passing chunk upon chunk upon chunk upon chunk upon chunk of meat from yourself and you're flooding to the point you can't leave the house, it is time to get something done about that after the first time, maybe, or maybe the second month, because you just can't live your life like that. Too many women end up uh, dropping out of the workplace because they can't manage that. And it's what, what kind of conversation are you having with your boss about that? If they're a, if they're a dude, it's just embarrassing. And if they're a dude that's never had any experience of that and Shout out, just in case you're listening to the dude who got in touch with me because they knew that I'd been going through this and said that their wife was going getting a bit mad and I asked how old she was and he said 45 or something like that. And I was like, okay, girl, you need to look after this woman now. You're most welcome to talk to me about the impact it's having on you. But I want you to know that my priority is that your wife is well looked after and that you can know that, some of this isn't, it, some of this isn't, it's personal, it's not personal. She may be starting to tell you things that were there already, but she's got absolutely no filter now. But nobody feels worse than her in this situation. Nobody. <laughs> nobody feels worse than the person who is hap it's happening to. So that's amazing. And that's a really great side effect. I mean, I'm here to tell stories and I am, I, I just appreciated all the people who told me their stories along the way. So I'm doing this a little bit publicly, but I've got nothing to lose. 
As I say, the dark side of all of this is that one of the things I did was just close down massive chunks of my business, which has put on a lot of pressure on our household. And now I need to build back. Um, and I don't know how because I'm a different person and and all of that kind of good stuff. But um, nobody feels it worse than the person it's happening to. And if you get to the point like I did where I just couldn't see a way into my business, into a rave running very successful programs, I couldn't find my way into those. And again, I'll talk in more detail about this the next time. I think like it just became so repugnant to me to do that that I had to stop. I just stopped. And all because of perimenopause. <laughs> I know, I'm sure there's people out there rolling their eyes now and going, well, if you just changed your thoughts up, you'd be fine. Or if you just stopped eating sugar or exercised more or something like that. But you have to understand when a human gets to this point, it's not a case of any of those things. It's beyond their control. There's a limited amount that one can control. And the way that I'm controlling it is by telling these stories. It's making me feel a little bit upset thinking about that because um, it's not easy. It's not easy. And as upbeat as I am, because I do think that's really a massive, one of my parts, the parts of me is just this incredibly positive, upbeat, optimistic person but one of my other parts is somebody who doesn't want to bullshit, who wants to just tell the truth and be very frank about what's happening. And um, if this storytelling means that people take me less seriously, fine. If this storytelling means that somebody recognizes this in their partner, their wife, their um, husband, if they are in that in 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 some kind of hormonal distress um or that they just really understand depression and the impact that hormones have on people or the impact that any of those like serotonin 5ht getting triggered now because i wrote my final uh, thesis on that at university 5ht and it's role in depression um or any of that other stuff that's really hard to control. God, I, you know, I really hope that this helps people to advocate for themselves and to understand how you can make things better. I honestly couldn't have asked for, I could not have asked for a better hospital experience. I couldn't have. The only thing that could have been better is that the night when I was in such severe back pain, it was my right upper right side like my rib cage inside there was unbelievable and incidentally that's another perimenopause side effect is that people can with a lot of women find it hard to to raise their hand their arms over their head they get like shoulder stiffness that related to it i haven't had that too badly um but yeah anyway it was rotten and the only thing that I could have asked for is if they'd injected morphine directly into, <laughs> into my back, <laughs> which was obviously what I was hoping they would do. But, you know, strangely enough, being professionals, they didn't do that. So, yeah, that was all that they would have like click, 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 clicked the uh, painkiller for me a bit more. But they gave me a pillow and it did help to relieve it a bit. <sighs> What's the other thing? I didn't register. They had set my bed to this really odd angle so my 
my body was at this really odd angle and it took me a day and a half no two days of being in there but a day and a half after they'd adjusted the the bed to this odd angle for me to realize no I heard, I heard from one of the other bays and then just the noise that the person was making made me think they just sat up or maybe one of the nurses was talking to one of the people in there and saying, are you all right? And uh, it was a, and I was like, wait a second, still kind of just enduring this really odd angle that my bed was at. <laughs> so I was like, hang on a second. So I asked the, the person who was just bringing my lunch to me. So I said, does this, in my terrible Japanese, I was like, does this bed move? And she said, hang on, I'll ask the nurse. So again, it was like, that's not her job. So she decided to get, and I was like, does this, how do I move this up and down? Like, you know, using a combination of awful Japanese and um, hand gestures. It's a remote control right next to the bed. She gave it to me. Oh my God, that was such a relief because then I was able to kind of sit myself up and lower myself all the way down and just manage my back pain way better. And it went off after that first night. I don't know what that was. Um, I actually think because I got it, I woke up with it this morning as well. I know what it is on both occasions. So I've been carrying a heavy case, a heavy case into the hospital that day. And yesterday I shopped for tinned goods and carried them quite a long way rather than taking my bike out. So I'm still a little bit frightened of riding my bike because you've got to twist a lot on your bike. You don't realise how much you have to kind of twist to turn around and what have you. And I'm just a little bit self-conscious of twisting. So that's that. And so I'm more or less healed. I'll see the doctor next week. She did mention to my husband that she'd found that my part of my intestine was adhered to the stomach wall I think and um, because that's her telling Casegate and then him translating in Japanese what she's telling him medical stuff right so you have to kind of think what's she talking about and then he told me so that's like three levels of translation like so she tells him he has to translate what she's telling him in his own language and then he translates it to me and then I translate it into my own uh, like understanding of it. So I may be told that I need another operation because my intestine is adhered to my stomach wall. Of course, she didn't do any operating on that because that's not her area of expertise. Oh, I hope that doesn't require anything else. I'm fine. Nothing seems to be bad. I hope it's not like diverticulitis or something like that. My dad did have an operation on uh, blocked intestine when he was about my age so fingers crossed it's not it's not anything that needs another operation so I think that's it so my basic takeaways from this was number one it's all about jobs and hierarchy I think really it's about knowing whose job is who when you're in the hospital, they have one job and that's to look after the patient. And in that case, that's me. Um, and it just goes without saying to be polite and to follow the rules and to follow the rules of the hospital and to just keep looking left and right to see what's happening in there and, and know what's going on. 
prepare well. Number two is to prepare well. So read everything. If you're in a different country to your home mother tongue, translate it. Um, if they offer interpreters, use the interpreters. If you are stuck on something, you don't have to sign anything. Oh, no, no, it's all right. I don't mind. No, I'll sign as soon as I've found out what this means, because I just need to know the exact details of that. Um, you know, obviously with ADHD, I start feeling shame, thinking it's my fault that I overlooked something. That's a symptom of ADHD is this constant shame that you've done something wrong and then trying to kind of check that, that everybody's OK. But actually, no, knowing that, knowing that that's part of my mind, I decided knowing that I've unmasked that now, I can just say, oh, could you let me know what this is? Because so what if I forgot? There's a lot of information to take in and I am, you know, stressed. So although I wasn't particularly stressed, I was nervous. I think it's good to identify anxiety, nervousness and stress, right? So there is inherent stress and in going into hospital, your body's under stress. So there is stress there. Um, anxiety, when I told you like things like um when will I insert the catheter? When will I put the adult diaper on? Do I need to do that myself? Blah, 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 this, that, and the other. It's like, no, they've got you covered on that. So then that anxiety, that's anxiety. So that could start to spin out into stress if I don't advocate for myself. And that's the other thing is to advocate for myself. Uh, nervousness. Nervousness is obviously, uh, that's that kind of fluttering chest feeling. That's obviously going to be there. Obviously going to be there. So. Um, you know, just name it. I'm nervous. I'm pretty nervous. I'm feeling quite nervous. I tend to cry a little bit when I'm nervous. When I'm anxious, I tend to spin out and get um, stressed out and like become full of adrenaline. When I'm nervous, it's something else. I actually don't know what the hormone of nervousness is. I'll have to check that when I get off this. Um, Yeah. And nervousness has a sweetness to it, I think, as well. <laughs> I'm placing a value on it, my God. Um, so that's that's my key takeaway. Then poll the people you know and find out what works for you. And for me, it was all podcasts. I didn't really want to watch YouTube much. I didn't definitely didn't watch any films or TV shows. And I just read 20 pages of a book, maybe, if that. Everybody's different. I know one friend didn't want to watch anything, so they... Uh, read. Um, another friend loved watching things. So they downloaded loads of shows. And another friend did say also that they'd like podcasts. I'm not really a music person, but I did become fixated on Lisa O'Neill ongoing and um, was listening to her a lot while I was in there as well. So that's kind of very soothing for me and a nice reminder of a really great experience in the hospital. I was at Niseki Hospital in Hiro. I found them to be fantastic, really fantastic. I and and I think bravo me because I think I went in with a really good mindset as well of making sure that I knew my job and how this juggernaut moves. And not expecting people to be my friends or to be nice to me, but um just letting them all get on with their jobs in the smoothest possible way putting my entire trust in my amazing surgeon and in all the nurses there and letting them do their jobs. I wish I'd had another nice pair of pajamas and that I'd chosen nicer pajamas prior as well. But I was really stressed out before I went in. 
not stressed out, but it was just that thing of like, are these the right pajamas? Are they the right size? Will they be right, too tight around my stomach? They're just things you can't control. Um, and I just bought the ones I bought in the end. It's so silly, isn't it? That I wish they were more beautiful. I wasn't ashamed of anybody seeing me. It was for myself, actually. It was just for myself. And then I would have had a nicer pair of pajamas at home as well. Um, they're really comfy and really cozy. And again, they just remind me of a time when I allowed myself to be completely looked after. So I've spent four weeks allowing myself to be completely looked after. That rest, I, I am a different person. I don't think I've taken this much real, true full-on time off really it's like a psychological switching off so even though I've been doing housework and I've been making dinner I always make sure that Keisuke's got something to eat when he comes home because he commutes a lot and he travels to work I think that's completely fair um is you know just allowing myself to be well looked after without trying to persuade or manipulate anybody into doing that just one job and noticing my energy levels as well so noticing when I, I was really noticing when I was doing too much so that nine kilometer walk one nine kilometer walk I did two weeks in um I remember saying to Keisuke I should have gone home about a kilometer ago <laughs> I'm really really struggling now just really tired like I'd reached an edge but I was okay but I knew that I just wanted to get home so badly and sit down and cozy up. And then having gone out the other night, it was yesterday was a recovery day. So that's interesting too. So now I'm just saying no to things um, unless they're close to home or unless I've kind of committed to them, but also knowing that that could have some kind of energetic response the next day or the day after that. Um, it's tax time right now, submitting all my taxes. So that's quite always a stressful time for me. It's not something that comes naturally to me at all. Even the questions that people ask. So I've just tried to make sure that everything's as automated as possible. But even just this morning, Keisuke talking to me about like, is the rent recorded? Oh, didn't think about that because um, I've been so focused on everything else. And also it's just not my natural state. Last year was a fucking disaster with the taxes emotionally for us for the other people it wasn't but emotionally for me I, I thought I was gonna I thought I was gonna die I can remember being in a hotel room and just having so many questions firing at me and I was like I've got three people I'm paying to do this why are there so many questions firing at me because I'm a business owner but now I realize how awful things have become for me really awful and I hope that if you're feeling it, you can find a way to find your way out of it and maintain the business relationships you need to, the relationships you need to, that you can keep your business going or you can stay at work, that you don't become completely consumed by it. You don't end up in rehab or that you need to be committed or you need to go into, you know, a, a hospital or that you become you don't survive suicidal ideation or suicidal tendency. Oh God. I just, oh, I just have so much empathy for that version of myself. And when I say myself, I don't feel much separation between me and other people going through the same thing either. If we're talking about my grandparents or my mom or those, that generation as well. 
No, you say things like, oh, they just got on with it and stuff like that. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. People became desperate. They weren't just getting on with anything. You may have seen that. You may have thought that. They were desperate. And also that people who are just behind me coming up, that they can advocate for themselves a bit better, maybe. And also that these stories exist out there and I'm willing and I'm willing to be the conveyor of them. I'm willing to be the distributor of the the worst of it. You'll see other people as well who are also contributing, who are talking about having bad days or how to try and manage things so that you don't either get sacked from the workplace or have to take loads of time off because you need to take mental, you have mental breakdown. Um, or that you can ask, you can start to, dis maybe by listening to my story, you can start to discuss the possibility of surgery. You're, I'm quite certain that your gynecologist will have that conversation with you if it's something that you need to deal with. Um, in the way that I needed to deal with this. If you need a good recommendation for a gynecologist, please contact me. I will give you the information about my English-speaking gynecologist in Tokyo. She was very good and she immediately referred me as soon as I requested that this might need to change. I was going in there for weekly um, intravenous iron and the hormones that she put me on weren't working. So she decided to in, to refer me to the hospital to talk about the possibility of having, having this surgery. And now it's done. And now I just have to decide my life's direction from here. So this is part two of Men A Storm. Thank you for listening if you got this far. I have absolutely no idea how long this is. None whatsoever. It was rambling. I tried to do it in three parts pre during and post-op or post-hospital because that week seems like a long time and now having recovered largely but knowing that I get really tired like yesterday was basically a write-off besides seeing my friend and then just came home and like got on the sofa and napped and did manage to get it together to make dinner for my husband very important to me um yeah let's see how it goes and I always find it hard to cut the, to, to stop these. I should just stop them. I always think, have I got anything left to say? Have I said everything I wanted to say? Have I said everything that's on my, my notes? I have. And have I said too much? Well, I don't care at this stage in the game. I just don't care. And I think that that is the route that's gonna help me to find my way into my next version of myself this is all about phoenix rising from the fire but i still feel like feel like a little egg i really do just feel like a little egg still at the moment not even not even a baby phoenix in the fire just a little egg and or as martha beck would call it i think i'm in the uh the first the first square of the dream cycle bit of the cycle of life cycles change cycle where I'm just like a little bit of 
goo in a caterpillar, a bit of DNA goo inside the cat inside the uh, cocoon, waiting to be come the next thing, which would be a butterfly. Then I'd lay my eggs for the next thing. Yeah, so I think I'm in the cocoon, still waiting to become a butterfly. Then lay the eggs of the next thing, and then become a big fat munching caterpillar again. <laughs> oh God, wish me luck, and I hope with all my heart and being and all my spirit and all my magic and all my science and psychology that there's been something useful in here for you. If you're a super left-brained corporate person, I hope there's been something useful in here for you as well. Um, if you are a super magical right-brained person, <laughs> look after yourself, especially if you're a people pleaser. Um, please um, jump on a 3.30 minute call with me if that's the case. If you're like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this and we can see if there's a way forward for you. And then let's see where the where the road, road takes us. I'm so happy to be sharing these stories. Next Menastorm update will be about the dark side of all of this and I'm going to prepare myself to be as frank as possible about the impact this has had on me and my husband, our family life, our income, my business. And of course, it'll still be, have a little upbeat take on it. I love you. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to these creative musings and stories of reinvention. And if it's Guests Week, big love and gratitude to our guests. Go follow them everywhere. Shout out to Laura Marushima for her podcast management and support. I would love if you would follow and subscribe this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and share with a friend you think would love or benefit from it. You can also find me at Sarah Brewer Creative on Facebook and Instagram and get on my occasional, very occasional newsletter list at sarahbrewer.com. I just love that you're here and I'll catch you the next time on the Legends Podcast. Rise like a phoenix, baby. And don't forget to take other people with you. Bye.